children are not simply little adults, and one significant difference is the degree to which kids' brains are constantly and actively developing. And this level of neuroplasticity might lead us to assume that they would recover from a traumatic brain injury more quickly than adults. But this is simply not the case. In fact, the same brain injury can make a more devastating impact on a child than it would on a mature adult. That is why ongoing rehab for pediatric TBI is so important. But unfortunately, as we will see in this week's research, many of these children just do not get the care that they need. And this is a problem that we need to meet head on. There are many evidence-based strategies that we can use to support kids with pediatric TBI. And after we review our journal article, I will be bringing on Nelson Gonzalez, O-T-R-L-R-F-S-C-H-H-C-C-C-T-C-P-M-T-C-O-R-E and CLT. That's a lot of acronyms. I'll be bringing him onto the podcast to discuss how we can be supporting this underserved population. So let's dive in. Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where we review new and influential OT journal articles, then invite on an expert guest to help us pull out actionable takeaways that you can implement in your practice starting today. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL. And before we dive into this topic of pediatric TBI, I wanted to let you know that this podcast may qualify as continuing education for you. To gain CEU credit, you will need to be a member of the OT Potential Club, our OT evidence-based practice platform. After listening today, you can log into the club, take our five-question test, and if you pass, we will generate a certificate for your time today. These CEU credits are for our $89 plan. If you head to our page, you can see our different pricing plans. But bearing in mind that this could count as a CEU course, I wanted to state our two learning objectives so you can be thinking about them throughout the podcast today. Our first learning objective is you will be able to recognize which pediatric TBI patients tend to have the highest levels of unmet OT service needs post-hospitalization. And our second is you will be able to identify assessments that you can use to ascertain services needed in different functional domains. So let's begin by breaking down this journal article, and then I will invite Nelson onto the podcast to discuss how this evidence can play out in your practice. So the article that we are looking at today is called Unmet Rehabilitation Needs After Hospitalization for Traumatic Brain Injury. It comes to us from the journal Pediatrics. It was published in 2018. And this is the last journal article that we'll be reviewing from our 2022 list of the 100 most influential OT journal articles. And on that list, this article was ranked 79th. As we head into 2023, we'll actually update our list and we'll have a new batch of articles that we'll be working through. You can see that list on our website. But turning to our article, The authors begin with this intro to unmet rehab needs following a pediatric TBI. They tell us that children who suffer traumatic brain injury can experience long-term impairments across functional domains. But luckily, there have been multiple studies that have shown that rehab can improve functional outcomes for these children. You can find these studies cited in the journal article. I'll also link to them directly in the club for us. But unfortunately, we know that many children do not receive these rehab services. In fact, less than half of hospitalized children with severe TBI receive rehab when they're hospitalized. The article then goes on to just kind of review what we know about these unmet service needs after hospitalization. The authors share that past studies have shown that following hospitalization, around 31% of kids have unmet or unrecognized needs post-TBI. Children with Medicaid are even more likely to have unmet needs. So this is a problem that has been studied before. It's been on people's radars. But much of the research around this is now more than 10 years old. And these studies, when they were done, they tended to have this kind of narrow view of dysfunction often just looking at like one measure to report that. And big areas of need were left out of these studies. Case in point, education-related needs were not even considered in these past studies, which leads us to why we need this current paper. 
So the authors sought to describe unmet service needs in the first two years post-TBI for kids who had been hospitalized by this TBI. They divided the service needs into six specific areas, occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, mental health services, educational service, and physiatry services. So what were their methods for describing these unmet service needs? The study design is a prospective cohort study. The population that was included was children age 8 to 18 who were hospitalized at one of six major hospitals in the U.S. from 2013 to 2015. All of these kids were admitted with one of the following, either a complicated, mild traumatic brain injury, a moderate TBI, or a severe TBI. Turning to the assessments that were utilized, a baseline interview was conducted within 30 days of injury to gather data on demographics and pre-injury functional status. Structured interviews were then conducted at 6, 12, and 24 months. I'm going to share the measures they used to identify dysfunction in these six areas because uh, these are all screens that you could also use to help identify needs for your OT services and also if a referral out to a fellow health professional would be merited. So for OT and physiatry, the assessment that they used was a pediatric quality of life inventory focusing on the physical functioning items. For PT and physiatry, they used a PROMISE physical function mobility short form and also that pediatric quality of life inventory. For speech therapy, physiatry, and education services, they used the quality of life and neurological disorders, pediatric applied cognition scale, and also the traumatic brain injury quality of life assessment focused on the executive function form and communication form. For educational services related to academics, they use the school functioning portion of that pediatric quality of life inventory. And finally, for mental health services, they can use that pediatric quality of life inventory, um, focusing on the emotional functioning portion of it. They use the PROMISE measure for anxiety, PROMISE for depression, and the UCLA PTSD reaction index. I will link to all these in the club so you can learn more about all of these screens. So turning to their results, 170 parent-child dyads consented to participate in this study. There were many layers of results that were presented, but I'm going to zoom in on the OT-specific ones. And I really encourage you to physically look at this article because they have this great graph of service needs related to OT. I'll link directly to that in the club as well. But to visually describe it for you, when you look at this graph, you can see that when kids had a moderate to severe TBI, they had overall greater service needs than those with complicated mild TBI. TBI. But what's interesting as you look at this graph, the kids with the complicated mild TBI actually had a higher proportion of unmet needs. So in that severe to moderate TBI, there were more needs overall, but more of these needs were met. There just seems to be this big miss for kids with this complicated mild TBI. They just were not getting the services that they needed which later in the podcast, Nelson and I will talk about how this mild TBI is just such a misnomer of a name. And honestly, this probably isn't a verbiage that we'll be using in the future. As we mentioned in the beginning, any TBI is serious. So the word mild just does not represent that. Broadening out to think about all six of the domains that were mentioned, the trend that we saw in the OT services held true across multiple domains where Again, the kids with the more severe TBI had more needs overall, but for kids with the mild TBI, they actually had this higher proportion of unmet needs. And I mentioned that they were tracking this at 6, 12, and 24 months. And something else that was surprising about these results is the percentage of unmet needs actually tended to increase over time. That was both for kids with mild TBI and for severe TBI, and it was true across domains. So for some reason, at six months, more of these kids' service needs were being met. And at 24 months, they had more unmet needs. So turning to the discussion, there were several important takeaways from this research. The research confirmed what we knew from previous research, that children hospitalized with TBI frequently have persistent dysfunction with substantial levels of 
unmet needs across multiple domains. But what this research really drove home is that children with complicated mild TBI were more likely to have unmet service needs than those with moderate to severe TBI. The authors hypothesized that those with more severe TBI may have had more obvious impairments and therefore had their needs more readily identified. This research also highlighted that children with moderate to severe TBI showed an increase in the proportion of unmet needs across all domains from 6 to 24 months. The authors hypothesized that the level of unmet needs may have risen over time due to stopping therapy as patients may have no longer appeared to have been benefiting or that therapy just simply became too costly. Overall, this high level of service needs at 24 months post-TBI correlated with some other studies out there. There was one previous study they found that on average, 6.8 years after injury, 69% of children still had potential education service needs. That is a long time after injury, and that is a high proportion of kids with service needs. So the authors say that all this data combined suggests that children who are hospitalized for TBI, but especially those with complicated mild TBI or those who are in the chronic phase of recovery, should be assessed for functional impairments. Such assessment could determine whether additional services would improve outcomes. There is a lot to unpack in this research, and obviously this research did not address once we do have these kids on our caseloads. What should our assessment and treatment look like? And that is why I'm so thankful to be bringing to the podcast Nelson Gonzalez. Nelson has been an occupational therapy practitioner for over 18 years with an array of certifications and specialties, including rehab fitness specialist, certified holistic health coach, certified cupping therapist, certified pediatric massage therapist, certified oncology rehabilitation expert, and certified lymphedema therapist. Nelson is the executive director and administrator of Rehab Without Walls Neurosolutions, the Florida division. Nelson is the co-chair of the administration and management special interest section for the Florida Occupational Therapy Association and serves on the Sabrina Cohen Foundation Advisory Board and campaign leadership team. So without further ado, I will patch Nelson into this podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Nelson. It's great to have you. Sarah, so glad I was able to make it. So glad you invited me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation. This is a topic we've actually covered on the podcast before, but it's one I want to come back to just on a regular basis. It's so important in pediatrics and across the lifespan. But we just see this theme of there's all these unmet needs after a TBI. There's lots of things therapy can do, and unfortunately, not enough kids get those therapy services. So yeah, it's just an important topic today. But before we get there, I want to learn a little bit more about you and your origin story and start with how you found OT. All right. Well, I'm from New Jersey. Hmm. I'm born and raised Hoboken, New Jersey. Prior to finding OT, I wanted to be a physician. Mm. But life took its course, different things happened. So I needed to make a quick change. I was like, I cannot be in school this long. <laughs> I have a, yeah, I have, I have a child. I was very young, at a, you know, a very young parent. I was 21 years old, still in school. So I needed to change my route. Mm. So I was a personal trainer and I taught aerobics. You know, that if, if you see me in person, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, pretty hyperactive. To yeah. be honest. But <laughs> I met this therapist in the gym and I always assumed he was a physical therapist. And then when I said, hey, you know, I just got accepted to PT school. I got accepted to physical therapy school. And he's like, oh, I'm an occupational therapist. That's cool. We always work with uh, physical therapists. I'm like, okay, what is occupational therapy? Mm. So long story short, it seemed perfect for me because I like changing. I like change. I like really dealing with the whole human, the whole body. I did it when, when I was a personal trainer and kickboxing instructor and aerobic instructor to, to now, to 18 years later. I look at the entire human and OT was, was right for me. Mm. So I, I applied and I did. Oh, awesome. That gives me a little glimpse probably into why neuro OT was a good fit for you. But can you tell me a little bit more about how you went to from finding OT to getting involved in neuro OT? So, okay. So the brain is very, very, very interesting. Mm. It is so unexplored yet. It is underexplored. 
it's very hard to have very good research with brain injury because if you have someone that has a brain injury or spinal cord injury, you treat that person, you're just treating that person. It's very hard to mimic that style, that treatment pattern to everyone else. Yes, there's models of approaches that work better than others, for sure. There's things that we can do in our lives that we'll speak about today, for sure. However, you treat one person with a neurological injury, you treat that one person with a neurological injury. It's very different as compared to the orthopedic side of, Mm -hmm. of our profession, right? Typically zero to two weeks, active range of motion, two to five, you know, you have very specific protocols. Again, there are models of approaches that work best right now, what the research has told us for neurological injuries. But again, there's nothing that's cookie cutter. And that intrigues me because Mm -hmm. I'm one of those, I like to investigate. You know, I like to, to like, like Sherlock Holmes, I I like to find (laughs) out things. Yeah, seriously, right? Mm -hmm. We're like crime scene investigators. I look at us as crime scene investigators trying to really break down how can we improve this person's life because we do not have a manual that actually says, okay, one, two, three, four, five, or eight through zinc. We don't. We have guidelines or models, but we do not have that actual, okay, these are the protocols. And that actually intrigues me. I liked it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love neuro OT. I think I have two questions I want to ask about it. First, this article is interesting to me because it intersected pediatric OT with neuro OT, which traditionally when I think of neuro OT, I think of adults. I think of those more degenerative disorders that you see in adulthood. So my first question is, do a lot of neuro OTs focus in pediatrics? Is that like a subset of neuro OTs or are most neuro OTs adult focused? What's your, I feel very lacking in knowledge there. Yeah, for the most part, yes. Okay. For the most part, yes. Why? Because this with the numbers that we have, there are higher incidences of traumatic brain injured individuals in the adult population, mm-hmm. 20s to 40s, but and mostly males. Yeah. Okay. That's the range. So because of that reason, there's more opportunities to work yeah. or to help these individuals and families in that age range. We're not saying that children, pediatrics do not sustain brain injuries at all. Actually, they probably most likely sustain more brain injuries than, than we could even you know, mm-hmm. measure yeah. or actually have real numbers because especially in sports, like mal-TBI, the concussion, yep. despite that is is more well-known, it's still hard-nosed. Get up, toughen up, let's go, get yeah. going. So that's the problem. And especially for, for boys, no, I got I to gotta man up. I have to prove to daddy or to my coach that I could handle that, that I'm tough. So that's one of the, the troubles that we're having, even with our clients that, that we treat with mild traumatic brain injury. And I don't like that word too much. And, and soon they'll, they'll be changing about, let's say, concussions with these children where, I mean, no, this is just a brain injury. I mean, we have to deal with it. We have to really ask those tough questions to that person, to that human, to the family, because I mean, it can linger for a very, very, very long mm-hmm. time. I know it's a long-winded, yeah. <laughs> long-winded answer, but now there's, there's not many, but there are. And those that, that do focus on, on the pediatrics are really focused on, on, on the pediatric population because it, it is something that is underserved. Yeah. Yeah. This article really highlighted to me, like, this is a special population with special considerations. And it's a twofold problem, like you said, where lots of times they're not seeking our help. But at the same time, if I was like, oh, I want to see a pediatric neuro OT, I would not know who to go to in my region. Like there's not an obvious person out there. So that's a twofold problem on both sides and really sets us up to see why we see these numbers that we're looking at today. And when you look at transitions of care, not even those physicians that say in the emergency room or your primary care physicians or your family practitioner, many times these these children are, are lost in the cracks because they're not being referred to occupational therapy. Mm-hmm. And mostly they're not even being referred to therapy. If it's, again, going back to this mild TBI concussion, if it's something more moderate or severe, yes, they're going to go through their whole rehabilitation phase. But if it's one of these issues where you have a, a soccer player, where you have a gymnast fall, you have a football player, of course, you have a basketball player. Now, martial arts is very big. You don't see that much. You may see them. Yeah. Okay. We screened for a concussion. I think you have a concussion. Go to the ER. They screen there. Let's say the CAT scan or MRIs, everything's clear. Fine. You know what, mom? Just give us some time. Just, okay, I'm going to write a note, get out of school, no video games. 
uh, watch the intensity of light, and that's it. And that's the protocol they get or the, or the prescription mm-hmm. they get, but they need more. But on the other hand, if this was an adult, especially a geriatric person, that would, I mean, it would be PTOT, you yeah. don't treat on the script. Yeah. 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 We make this false assumption that kids are going to recover quickly and naturally, and that is not backed up in the research. That's a false assumption that we're making across the board that I think parents make and we as healthcare providers make too. I also wanted to ask about the setting you're in now and just tell us a little bit about the model of care. I think it's kind of unique. Yeah, so so I'm the executive director of Rehab Without Walls in Florida. We're a pretty large company, actually part of a larger mm-hmm. uh, company, actually the, the, the largest healthcare company in the country, uh, Bright Spring Health. We have over 900 locations, including in Canada. Wow. But Rehab Without Walls, we focus on neurological issues. So it's Rehab Without Walls Neurosolutions, okay? We look at most of our clients are those catastrophic cases where it's just very tough to manage. And you need an interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary team that's focus-based, that has specialists in this area, okay? Because this, again, this is not, there's no protocol to like a, a finger injury, okay? Mm-hmm. So you need, and we do research, we, you need the type of specialists that we have. So in Florida thus far, we've just been in Florida for just over a year now. So we have a home and community-based model of approach. So we see clients families in their homes and out in the communities. Hmm. So not just the brick and mortar home, right? The home really, when you look at the definition of a home is the surroundings around you, your family, your friends, your school, your workforce. That's the type of therapy we provide. And we do not provide traditional services as well. We see clients anywhere between 16 to 30 hours a week. 16 to 30 hours a week. Because especially if you have any type of brain injury, and you need neuroplasticity, you need neurogenesis, you need quality care, number one, of course, you need interdisciplinary care, number two, of course. However, what surpasses that, what highlights everything is time. You need repetition, Mm -hmm. repetition, repetition, repetition. And you can't just do repetition on your own. You need, especially in the beginning, that qualified professional that could help you and make sure that that repetition that you're doing is the right repetition. Because our brains learn no matter what, mm-hmm. whether you do something good or do something bad, yeah. it doesn't make a difference. It just <laughs> learns. Learn it, yeah. <laughs> it just learns. That's why you know. You know, I remember my mom. I don't want you near that kid. I don't want you hanging out with you. You're going to start acting like yeah, that. because it's true. Yep. Like mirror neurons. I mean, it, it's it's absolutely true. So we help guide these clients and families. Mm-hmm. So we provide physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech language pathology clinical social work services, neuropsychology, recreational therapy, music therapy. I mean, it all encompasses, and this is to provide the best possible treatment there is. And, and we look at many other things that I think we'll speak about today, and we could get in depth with yeah. in, in what some of my passions are. I'm so thankful that I'm talking to you because over and over on the podcast, we're like, we need more high-intensity OT, especially in pediatrics, but so often we're stuck in these service models where we're seeing patients like one time a week for 30 minutes. And that is not enough. We are struggling to get away from that model. Oh, yeah. I'm so happy that you all have done it. Are you using traditional reimbursement for like outpatient? How how are you guys able no, to do so, that? Everyone else is like, no, we I'm, can't figure out how to make that work. Yeah, there is a way. Yeah. How are you doing <laughs> There's a way. There's always a way, right? And pr- I'm gonna tell you something. Prior to being recruited by Rehab with the Walls, I was a, a director of a company. We had six locations in Florida. We had two in Brazil, one in Colombia, and a pro bono in Kenya. Mm. And 80 percent of our population were pediatrics. Cool. So, and it was outpatient based. Yeah. But we did intensive therapy there as well. There's ways around it. Just insurance companies don't want everyone to know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that whole one time, two times, three times a week, there's zero. I always challenge, let's say if, because I'm, I'm the one that has to argue with the medical director of these commercial insurance companies mm-hmm. primarily to say, hey, why are you asking for so much? So one of my questions, I, I go back and say, listen, if you could find one publication, yep. even if it's a white paper, that one, two, three times a week, okay, of one of 45 minutes to an hour therapy, okay? can give us, or can give the human being, grow new neurons, neurogenesis, or make that brain increase the neuroplasticity, hey, we'll do it. 
but you can't find yeah, it because it, it. it doesn't exist. Yep. You can find a it, lot of people it, doing that model. Yes, but, it, <laughs> but there's, there's no, the no backing. Exactly. It. It's insurance came up with that. And yeah. It's almost like a common thing you hear three times a week, two times. Where, where, where are you getting that from? Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's tough. And especially in this country, you know, we pride ourselves in USA. USA. We, we always pride ourselves. And I love my country. I do, without question. However, we are ranked 43rd in post-acute care, meaning we're number one when you get hospitalized. Let's think mm-hmm. of a gunshot wound, even to the head. We will save your life no matter yeah, what. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we'll save your life. Yep. After that, we're ranked 43. Hmm. 43. That's nothing to cheer about. Yeah. Nothing to cheer about. Yeah. Countries like Norway, especially for brain injury, they're doing so much more for their, for their clients and families. So much more support. Mm-hmm. I mean, here, caregivers leave the hospitals with barely any information. These parents are lost. They may get a whole stack of discharge paperwork, but mostly says, okay, what's the, uh, the medication? This is what you do in the event of you got a headache, call your doctor. I mean, it's the simplest information. Okay. And mm-hmm. then sometimes it's, it's too much information that it becomes no information. And no one actually sat eye to eye, meet and eat with these individuals and held their hand and said, Hey, we're here for you. Yeah. And that's, that's the trouble with the healthcare here. Yeah. Yeah. There's just this tension with the evidence where we know this high intensity is better. So many of us feel like we can't do it. Yeah. So then a lot of people just are providing subpar care. And when you loop in this article, so few people get to us in the first place. And then when they do, the care isn't as good as we would like it to be. And I guess turning specifically to the article, I think there were things in here that I knew about, but also some things that surprised me, especially the the numbers on like the mild traumatic brain injury, how many unmet needs there were. I think that makes sense to me, but it was still kind of surprising to see it in black and white. But yeah, what were your takeaways from the article? How did things hit you? Well, it's definitely the, exactly what you stated regarding, that's why I mentioned it in the beginning with the mild, that word mild. I mean, it's, it would disappear soon. But mm-hmm. with, with the concussions, the mild TBIs, I mean, again, it starts with that word, to be honest. Yeah. Yep. Mild. Anything yep. mild, ah, mild sauce, ah, it won't bring yeah. me a lot. Ah, mild uh, injury. Ah, he's fine. Yeah. He's not so much, not so bad, very little. Yep. So that's number one. Yep. Total misnomer. Number two, yeah, misnomer. Number two, there's, there's many research studies, because all they do is look at the numbers, where they look at mild concussions or mild traumatic brain injury compared to a severe traumatic brain injury. Many times, these mild traumatic brain injuries takes longer for these individuals to recover than a severe traumatic brain injury person mm-hmm. because they receive so much care because it was so traumatic that they received everything yep. under the gamut. Yep. You know, they went to rehab. They did this. They did that. More support, even though the support's still lacking, but they received more than, than just the doctor said, nah, it's okay. Mom, just, you know, can't play sports for two weeks. You know, when he's ready to go to school, he'll be ready. Just, you know, give these teachers, you know, a note for missed class. That's one of the issues. Another issue is this with all traumatic brain injury. We work too much, too much on skill and not enough on the brain and the body. Mm. What do I mean? So we're not looking at the gut brain access. Okay. Mm. So what do I mean about that? The foods we consume, okay, are extremely important to gut and brain health. There is a direct connection. Within the first few minutes, three to five minutes of a brain injury, we have gut dysbiosis. Why? Because we have leaky gut, intestinal hyperpermeability, and there's studies on this. Okay, it happens within minutes of that. Nothing's looked at in the hospitals regarding that. They're not looking at hyponatremia. There's many things that are lacking in a healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Forget that, because we cannot go directly into the system and change that right now. Okay, well, when you get home, no education on nutrition. Yep. No education on timing and fasting of, of eating. Okay. I'm not saying what we're going to put a, a child on a 24-hour fast. I'm just saying, hey, the child shouldn't eat three hours before bed, for instance. There's the right foods to consume and, and foods that you shouldn't consume. You have to balance ghrelin and leptin levels. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? Uh, are there environmental toxins? And I'm not just saying actual toxins like chemicals. Yeah. I'm saying lighting intensities, toxic family members, toxic culture, toxic school system. We're not looking at sleep. We'll just ask, is he sleeping well? Yeah, no. He's not sleeping well. Have him go to sleep earlier. No. Where's the sleep hygiene program? And why isn't he sleeping well? What are you doing in the mornings in order for that child to sleep better in the evenings? What are you doing throughout the day? 
Okay. So many, many systems, many companies do not look at that. We do. And this is one of my passions. Mm. I speak internationally about this. As you know, I'm a co-author on a, a book about this. This is something that I'm passionate about. This is something that there's great evidence on, but this is something that's, that's extremely neglected. Mm-hmm. You know, something else that's neglected is family stress. Yeah. Right. We're not looking at that. I mean, it's just a ping pong effect if you do not deal with the entire family. The little boy is stressed because he's being forgetful. He may be emotional labile. No one's understanding him or listening to him. Then the mom is stressed because she has to miss work. The dad may not be around or maybe the dad is around and he has to miss work. Then there's marital issues. I told you not to do this. I told you not to do that. And then the sibling, the brother's not being paid attention to because all they're paying attention to is Susan or Johnny. So it's imperative. If you want to heal, if you want that child to improve, you must improve the family dynamic. They must be mm-hmm. part of the treatment as well. It's not just just Johnny or Sarah. It has to be, you know, the Taurus, the Perez, the Smiths, the, the John Doe's. That's who we have to treat, the entire family. Yeah. And look at the, the environment, like the Moho, right? Moho, you look at everything. Yep. yep. And that's something that we must, we must do. Yeah. This conversation is already surprising me because it feels like my lifestyle medicine podcast where like we're taking into account. So like, even though we pay that lip service as OT that we like look holistically, lots of times we don't actually do that. But I'm hearing you thinking so holistically about the person, which I think my first question about that is, are you screening all those things? There's so many Like when I talked to my lifestyle medicine guest, he did have like six screens for the areas of lifestyle medicine that he was doing. Is that what you're doing? And I guess also related to this article, are you screening and looping in other professionals? Oh, 100%. Uh, Yeah. How how do you get going looking at all these areas? So remember, we we, we treat these these clients for many hours. So we have the time. Yeah, that's awesome. That's another rationale for that. Right? Because this takes time. Yeah. This takes time to gather information because- one day eval, one day assessment, or pre-admission screen, you, you will not get this information. Yeah. All right. It takes time to build that trust and really dig deep and ask those intimate questions. Mm-hmm. All right. And to dig into someone's cupboards and refer- hey, let's take a look at your fridge the first day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> well, yeah. Get them out of here, you know? It's too intrusive. Okay. But let me just back up a little. So everyone, everyone uses their own discipline-specific screens and assessment and, and, okay. and evaluation tools, okay? For sure. However, everyone, everyone, every discipline, who's ever on the case, has to complete an MPAI-4. So that's, that's the Mayo Portland Adaptability Inventory, okay? So it's, it's a pretty simple questionnaire, okay? It gets a little in-depth, but it's, it's, it's simple enough to complete. So everyone performs that when they, they do their first day evals or some, some evaluations take multiple days. Could we, again, we go in depth, but once everyone is complete, that's part of the evaluation. We always assign a clinical coordinator to each case. So a clinical coordinator has to be an OTPT speech, a licensed professional. Mm-hmm. It's just like a case manager for the case, but we don't call them case managers, but it's clinical coordinators. So that coordinator looks at everyone's scores. It's all electronic. They take out the flow sheet. Hmm. And they see. So if someone, let's say, scored a four and then everyone, let's say four disciplines score this individual a four, okay, on a question. And then someone scored a one, bing, that's a red flag. What happened? Where's the discrepancy? Yeah. So that clinical coordinate takes that out. And during the clinical conference meeting, which happens during the first two weeks of the start of care. And why two weeks? Because, again, some evals take a little longer. We sit down. We collaborate including with the, the, the client's physicians, if they want to join. We ask the, the PM&Rs, the neuros, whoever's involved, mm. we send them invites to this clinical wow. conference meeting and everything's done virtual now. And we speak about the case and that's when this discrepancy is going, okay, OTPT speech, social worker scored a four. Then our neuropsychologist scored on, hey, what happened, doc? Tell us what, what was the discrepancy? And then we start speaking. This is what happened. Oh my God, we didn't even know that. Mm. They didn't disclose that to us. Oh, we didn't see that. Yeah. So that one assessment, okay, it's not just an assessment for OT, for PT, for speech and neuroscience. It's a rehab without wall assessment, right? And then we take that along with our discipline-specific assessment and then really get a nice plan of care, a nice treatment. 
And then we continue, right? It doesn't stop, right? You, you, you still have to pry. And part of our treatment is let's go shopping. Let's say for the food I was talking about. Let's look in your cupboards, right? And not being intrusive. I'm going to look in your cupboard. No, you make that part of your activity. Yeah. You investigate, right? You're doing that crime scene. Investigate. What's going on? Let's go look in your shower. Oh, my God. Do you know I, I could give you these environmental working group app and you could screen. You could get better options for the lotion you're putting on your child's face. Hmm. I mean, we break it down to that, wow. to that level. Wow. I mean, we pretty, we go in depth. If we smell something a little funky, we recommend a mold screen. I mean, we, yeah. we go pretty, pretty in depth. Yeah. We, we get pretty in depth. And sometimes our treatment is not, especially for the neuropsych and clinical social worker, they may not be treating that child or that client. That session, it may just be focused on Johnny's brother, siblings, and parents, you mm-hmm. know, because we know that that session is going to improve Johnny's life. Yeah. So again, that's where the multiple hours come in as well. Right. So that, that's part of the intensity as well. So we need time, right? We need time to get, get these answers or, or being able to find the right time to ask those deeper questions, yeah. you, you know? Yeah. Really, like really do questions. Yeah. Really personal, especially for teenagers, not to get too in depth in, into this now, but how can I put this in a nice frame? Well, adults on this podcast anyway, but <laughs> self-soothing meaning. You know, masturbation mm-hmm. is part of the teenage life. It's part of growing up. These are questions because that tends to, to decrease, you know, in, in, in that population. And hey, I'm not, I'm not asking, hey, are you a pleasure? But are there certain things that you're not doing anymore? Are you doing, yeah. are you exploring? And we get pretty in depth once we have that familiarity with that client. Yeah. Okay. Another thing, like I stated earlier, we go out into the community. We go out into the school systems. We hmm. go out to the beaches, we go kayaking, we do paddleboard, whatever's appropriate, whatever's needed, as long as it's evidence-based, research-based, and we come back while we're doing it and why we're doing it. Yeah. So is OT coming in in the morning and PT's coming in in the afternoon? Are you overlapping? What's that? Yeah, I'm so curious just about yeah. the logistics no, there, there's of no, that there's no, model. Yeah, there's no cookie-cutter answer. Yeah. But it all depends. Yeah. It all, it all depends. We can co-treat and we actually, depending on how we write our contracts with the, with the insurances, some allow mm, co-treatment, okay. some don't, like to bill for it. Even if we can't bill for it, if it's necessary, we do it and we just take it as a law, sort of. Like I have to look at the number, they look at budgeting, obviously, as the director, but, but if it's necessary, it's necessary. It all depends. It really all depends. We're not a nine to five company. Yeah. It's 24 hours. It all depends of what that case needs. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it just all depends. There's no... Yeah, there's so no... So let's say if... Yeah, there's no... I mean, typically with, with this person all day, if you think about it, right? Uh, let's say six hours a day, right? I mean, it's 30 hours right there. Yeah. You know, six hours times five, let's say we see them. They may be back to back to back to back to back to back. And we're very transdisciplinary. So we're not just seeing OT, PT, speech. It's okay. What are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing in these two weeks? What, what What's the plan? All right, we got to go shopping. We go... Do financing for kids. How's homework going? Does he he or she know how to get to and from the class? How's the noise? Is he handling that? Is this something we could do to biohack his body or biohack his environment? Or some some simple tasks or some something simple thing to say. I'm thinking of a child right now that's just the noise too much in the in the hallway to want to class to class. Mm-hmm. And just these really small earplugs, you can't really tell. You know, just put them in and that, you know sort of hum the noise yeah. he was able to focus more to get to class speak with the school systems educate the school mm-hmm. systems hey you may see this you may see that yeah. children are, are natural born bullies they really are i mean there's a lot of bullies out there <laughs> all people yeah, right that's just kids yeah, all people yeah all people right a lot of bullies out there right so you know it, it is hard you know to to stop that so it's a lot of you try to train that child that kid like to hide certain things, which stinks, right? To hide, say, hey, if you feel you need to do this, you know, maybe mm-hmm. do that. If you feel you need to do this, maybe do that. This, this, I mean, it, again, it's no cookie cutter answer, but I'm, I'm thinking of a particular child. It, it's hard. Yeah, It's hard. And that's what we need the time to investigate, to try different things. And to also repeat, 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 wrote, wrote or information, wrote activities in order for, for the brain to, to really absorb that information. But Sarah, that information doesn't absorb just by working on skill. That's why I keep saying that we work too much on skill, not on the brain and body. Mm-hmm. If our cortisol levels are too high, right? And especially the hippocampi, right? Where most of our memory starts, so it's, you know, gets the engine rolling. 
if that's affected, okay, because cortisol levels really affected by Kappa, how do you expect the child to learn? Yeah. It's not possible. But there's certain things that we can do to the to the body that will help decrease the cortisol levels. And then the brain is primed to receive that information. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Yeah. But there's certain things we 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 need to do first. But we need the time to do that. Mm-hmm. These 30 minutes, 45 minutes. By the time, the, especially in outpatient, we have with our walls in other states and we're going to do it in Florida. We have outpatient, we have residential, we have day treatment centers. We have a specialized school in Texas for children, actually where they reside there. Mm. So we, we're pretty large. Those traditional outpatient, by the time you get the child, hey, mom, how's Johnny doing? Johnny's good. And Johnny's tugging. I don't want to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go. That's already five, yes. seven minutes, yeah, right? Yeah, session over. <laughs> yes, and then you get him in. Johnny's like, I don't want to do nothing, Johnny. Ah. And then, you know, you have another, you have Samantha waiting for you, right? So that half hour session really boils down to about 22, 23 yep. minutes. If it's an hour session, maybe 42. Mm-hmm. You know, like productive time. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. You know? And so, I so love the model you're doing instead. Yeah. Oh, it's great. I mean, everyone sees it, but... When we get children, like later on, where they've been to different centers and tried different therapies, and they're like, oh my God, I didn't even know we can do this. I didn't even know what, like, wow, I can't believe she's doing so well. And, you know, we have a very good IT department where mm, we we'll yeah. show different technologies. I mean, tech, tech is so good right now. Oh, it's so and, good. And off the shelf things. I yep. mean, yep. you know, so I mean, oh my God, I had no idea. It makes my life so much easier. Look at what she's doing. Look what I'm doing. You know, just things like that yeah. that we have. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we do a lot. We do a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm hearing that there's so many different things that you could do as a treatment. It's so individualized to that person. But I'm curious, with your interests, what kind of treatments get you really excited that you're like, oh, I think this could be really high impact for this child that had a TBI? What's like your go-tos and yeah, what's some of your favorite I do a lot, a lot, a lot of body work. You know, I've been I've been trained in various different areas in the world. I've been lucky mm-hmm. to have mentors and just be connected with different people. And then you start your own little circle and be educated on what different medicines are about yeah. and how it could it impact the, the brain and the body. Okay. So I love, I love vibration. Mm. I love doing things with vibration. I love touch therapy. I love aromatherapy. Yeah. So this is the thing, especially with kids, all right? And, and any brain injury. Many times you have, when you have a brain injury, you have too much glutamate, right? So let's take, let me back up a little. Let's say glutamate and GABA, right? Glutamate is our excitatory neurotransmitter, mm-hmm. okay? And GABA is our inhibitory neurotransmitter, okay? So basically, glutamate, I need glutamate in order for, for me to start reaching for an item, right? I need those excitatory neurons to help me do that. But I need GABA in order for me to say, Communicate information to my mom. Hey, relax, coordinate it. Go grab your phone. Go grab the pen. Same thing with conversation. I need glutamate in order to start a conversation with Sarah. However, I need that balance of GABA to say, hey, I need social reciprocity. You know, when she's speaking, I need to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the issues, yeah. So one of one of the issues is this, is that we're seeing that I, I love the cerebellum. Maybe that's another day we could talk about. Cerebellum and the gut is like my passion. Yeah. So the cerebellum. It's like our third brain. This is our one first brain, gut, second brain to me. And the cerebellum is like a whole brain to itself. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's an area in the cerebellum called the Purkinje area, right? The Purkinje cells. It's the only area in the entire brain where GABA goes to school, meaning it becomes modulated. Glutamate makes GABA. So the brain knows, okay, I'm making, you know, these excitatory neurotransmitters, but I need to make sure that there's a balance here. So it makes GABA, but it sends it to school in the Purkinje cells. There's studies that state, especially for, for, for those on the spectrum, but there's studies that state that post-mortem brains, uh, they find that these individuals, including with brain injury, and they find that in depressive disorder, post-mortem, where the family donated the brain, where there's things happening in the frontal cortex with GABA, like finding like no GABA. And, you know, that's where executive functioning skills are. But anyhow, with the cerebellum, they're finding that either they had very, very little Purkinje cells or none at all. So there's no balance. So when you have your brain firing up and you say, Johnny, how many times I told you to pick up your food? Johnny's like, you never told me that because Johnny's brain mind was going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of activities that we can do in order to like vibration. Vibration helps GABA. It stimulates the cerebellum. Simple balance activities. Not because the child. I remember when I 
was really hands-on in the clinic. Uh, he doesn't have balance issues. Just watch. You know, then you, I would calm that whole child down. Work on balance activity, really deep pressure, like sandbags on the child, for instance. Working on the vestibular system. When you do all that, there's a direct pass from the cerebellum when you're working on balance, from the cerebellum to where? To the substantia nigra, the basal ganglia, where dopamine, our feel-good hormone is produced, right? Dopamine. So that ventral tegmental area, that road, once you stimulate, this is all research-based, once you stimulate that, okay, the studies show that that road, the VTA axis, also becomes stimulated, and then dopamine increases, and you have that feel-good hormone. Mm. So once you have that feel-good hormone, you feel good, and now your brain is primed to, to learn. Now you can work on skill. Yeah. So in the beginning of the treatment, let's say if I have a child, in the beginning of the treatment, a minimum of 20 minutes, minimum of 20 minutes, I do a, some type of high-intensity interval training. I'm going to have the kid doing, oh, not like he's going to CrossFit. You do play activities, right? Running around, you do play activities. You go, you know, go to a playground. After that, I know because the research states that cortisol level stress hormone, because children get stressed, very stressed. That's why suicide um, is so high, right? Death by suicide. So cortisol levels decrease, right? And brain-derived neurotropic factor, BDNF, increases. IGF-1 increases. The brain is primed to learn. Boom. Then I start working on skill. Mm, Once I start working on skill... Then I do my other body work, okay, at the end. So when I leave home, that client's home, then the mom can follow through and that child is good for at least three to four days. Yeah. And they could could go to school and then you teach. You teach, hey, do this. Hey, do that before this activity, before homework. Do this, do that. And we look at lighting. We we go, we change light bulbs. I mean, we do do pretty in-depth. Oh, I love how um, you're setting the family up for success at the end of the. <laughs> oh yeah, you have to. You yeah, have to. That's awesome. To. We want to. There's a saying like we want to work ourselves out of a job. Yeah. So meaning we want to work ourselves out of that case. You know, it, the the plan is to have that family as independent and live a life that's full of quality as much as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, after we discharge someone, we check up on them three months, six months, and a year after. Mm-hmm. Just a phone call. Right? How's it going? This, that, what, what's, because we want to make sure that what we did is sustained. Yeah. And that they're following through. Yep. Just hearing you talking, like, there's so much neuroscience to learn. There's so many skills that we could be learning as therapists. I know you've got to do a lot of learning over your career. If someone is just starting out and they're interested specifically in pediatric TBI, what are like the two to three things that you would say, go listen to this or go learn this? What's been the most helpful to you? My quick answer, look up anything that Norway is doing. Yeah. <laughs> my yeah. quickest answer. Yeah. Seriously, just look up anything that, that Norway is doing. That's number one. Number two, try not to look at it as pediatric brain injury or pediatric neuro. Look at neuro first. And what does neuro mean? Okay, this, it's not just the brain and the spinal cord. Mm-hmm. It's really not. It's all encompassed. We're really one unit. And once we begin to realize that, okay, our neurological functioning skills will improve. Okay. So reading, looking up studies, not just researchers in the US, you have to look abroad. Mm-hmm. What are these other, like Norway, I keep saying, what are these other countries doing that the success rate is better than ours? Mm-hmm. What is it? Their outcomes are better. What are they doing? What's going on with the foods that we're consuming? Yeah. These ultra-processed foods are killing our kids. Cereal in the morning. Might have a Snickers bar. Yeah. I mean, yeah. might as well. Yeah. Might as well. You know? So that. So it isn't, you can't tell the child, don't eat that. It's educating the parents, the families, what's better. But not being naive that it's also more expensive to eat better. Mm-hmm. You know, really looking at the circumstances, really, really asking those those hard questions like I was telling you about that we get in depth. What's your financial situation? Can you really afford this? Or the reason you're getting the Wendy's every day is because it's four for four. You can get four burgers for four bucks and you're feeding your family. You know, so we have to look at that. Okay. So, yeah, it's just really looking at the entire human experience mm-hmm. that includes the environment. I love Moho. I'm telling you, model of human occupation. Yeah. Because if we really look at that, okay, and bring it up to speed in today's society with social media, every, every little kid on the phone, right? Bring it up more to speed in today's society. Then we can really positively 
affect these children's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's all neuro. Yeah. <laughs> that's all neuro. That's all neuro. Many people look at neuro and think of brain immediately or think of spinal cord. You know, it's it's more to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically. And, and yeah. again, I'm passionate about the gut brain access. That's, that's number one to me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what we consume and what we don't consume affects us greatly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the biggest challenge for us as therapists looking to the future is there's so much information coming out about all those systems that you mentioned. It is hard. It's going to be hard to keep up. Like as therapists, it takes a lot of intentional learning. I've been listening to the yeah. Huberman podcast. Have you listened to that? Oh, I listened to Huberman, yep. Huberman podcast. I was like, you Dr. sound like, I feel like you've listened. But yeah, oh, there's yeah, great yeah. typers out there for us oh, where they yeah. put all the info together. Oh, the info's there, like Huberman podcast, Dr. Mark Hyman, Rhonda Patrick. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot out there. Even Joe Rogan has great guests. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Joe Rogan has great guests. I have a pet peeve with, with uh, OTs in general. Ooh, what I is think it? We look at, I think we look at OT publications too much. Yeah. And not enough everywhere else. Yep. It's OT, OT focus, OT focus. Look at what we do. We're, we're the true functional therapist. So we have to look at everything. Mm-hmm. We, have to, we have to look at what is this researcher saying? What is this biologist saying? What is this neuropsychologist you know, saying? What is this PMNR saying? What is human saying? And then let's look that up. Let, what, what are we doing? Because I'm telling you, I do a lot of things for my life and for my clients. We, I do cold plunges with clients. Yes. We, we do that. Yeah. We do a lot of things. Yep. You know, obviously, obviously, this has to be tailored appropriately, the age yeah, and things safe. like that. Yeah. But we, we do a lot of evidence-based approaches, deep breathing. I mean, there's, a, there's so much you can do to biohack your system. Yeah. It improved. I'll give you an example. We had a client. This is an adult client, though. And he couldn't sleep, complained. Traumatic brain injury. And this is a very traumatic case. And actually, it was actually left, left above elbow amputation. Very bad at car accident. Mm-hmm. Anyway, can't sleep, can't sleep, can't sleep, can't sleep. Very pessimistic, pessimistic. So and then, you know, part of the clinical conference meeting, I'm like, I have to get involved in this case, like literally hands on. Like I can't just be sit back as the executive director, quote unquote, and not do anything. So I started treating him. The first day I treated him, very skeptical. And I went at night because I want him to sleep. Hmm. I went like 7.30, p.m. That's when it starts getting, you know, you know orangey out. Beautiful yeah. down here, Sarah. It starts getting orangey out. So I set up his environment, went to the uh, living room and asked the wife, can you, you know, please turn on the television? Because he's Hispanic. Hispanics are loud. I'm Hispanic. <laughs> We're very loud. TV's loud. We speak loud. You know, on the phone, he's speaking loud. Anyhow, I set up the room. I set up the environment. Took out my essential oils to get them ready. But I did some some type of body work. Not real exercise because I don't want to stay up. But some of that balance stuff that I was talking to you about. Mm-hmm. I put them on a vibration plate. And we bring all this to the home. Put them on a vibration plate. I did... um. Therapeutic cupping, so cups with magnets, so magnetic blanket cupping. I did tapping, essential oil therapy, all that while while he had headphones on with binaural beats. Hmm. Yeah. All right, at the same time, right? He fell asleep. I left. I had, I had to have his wife sign my iPad. Yeah. The email. <laughs> yeah, he slept. Called the next day. He said, man, I didn't wake up at all. Hmm. So I had to do it again. Obviously, the wife's not going to cup, but there's certain home activities that you could teach yep. the wife, the caregiver, but then there's a lot of burden on her. And then you teach him to do at the same time, right? Because then remember, he has that one arm and we we're working on that as well. We were getting him a prosthesis. So there's a lot of things going in where he needed, you know, some assistance for us to do certain things. And that's it. Long story short, this gentleman sleeps throughout the night because we also worked on what he should be doing in the morning as well. You know, so it was pretty good. Yeah. Just hearing that, that's such a good example of, I think, as OTs, like you said, we need to be learning so broadly, and there's so much great information out there for us, and then it's our job to, like, package it for our patients. And to be honest, that feels, what you're doing feels different than what a lot of OTs get to do, but I think you exemplify the direction that we're heading. Do you think OTs heading that way? Or I, I guess I should say as a broader question, like how as a profession do you think we need to keep changing to meet all of these unmet needs that we saw in this research for our TBI patients? Do our systems need to change? How do we as individuals need to change? What's 
I think it's individuals because when you when you read our the OT Practice Act, OT Practice Framework, it's there. Yeah. Everything I'm describing. Totally. It is. It's there, right? Healthcare management, nutrition, mm-hmm. sleep. I do not go beyond my scope. Yeah. I can't legally. Yeah. I can't, right? It's my license. I have so enjoyed this conversation and it's made me think more broadly, not just about serving this population, but about us as OTs and what we bring to the table. I have two quick rapid fire questions for you before we go. Let's go. Um, if you're up for it. First, how do you typically describe occupational therapy? Ooh, that's a tough one. Depends yeah. on my audience, right? Because the name, the name occupational. Um, it depends on my on the audience, but we, we help, help you and your families live a better life. Yeah. And then there's follow-up questions after that, right? They were, what do you mean? And okay, give me give me one issue that you may have. And then I'll give them an example because it is so broad. Yeah. You know, I love the quote as well. Skills for the job of living. I love that slogan, mm-hmm. you know. And then, then you, you start a conversation. What what do you mean? You know, yeah. you know, what what skills do you need? Do you mean? And then that's when I start breaking it down. Yeah, love it. And we've talked about so many things today. What's the one thing that you want to leave people top of their mind from our conversation today? We need to begin to take charge of our lives. Hmm. And it starts from food. <laughs> It starts from food. It starts from the best medicine in the world, exercise. Mm -hmm. And what some may have more access to than others is the sun. Just being outdoors, ecological therapy, the earth, doing activities outside your brick and mortar home or your offices, find time to get out. Really, food is is not just nutrition, right? Food is information, Mm. right? What we eat, what we take in, what we put in our bodies you're informing your internal system, your brain, your gut. This is how I want you to respond. So if you want to improve yourself, really take the time, do the research or ask others to help, mm-hmm. like an occupational therapist that, that's privy to information, that's skilled in this, and improve your life because we are dying. We are that Cancer is, is on the rise. Heart disease is on the rise. But what's even higher on the rise on the rise that is a true epidemic is depression and death by suicide mm-hmm. but we, there are ways that we there are things that we can do yep. in order to help prevent that yep well nelson this yeah. was honestly a lot broader than i was expecting but i also feel like it was the exact conversation that i needed to have today and i'm so thankful for your time today thanks for being with us No, thank you, Sarah. It was excellent so much. I I really appreciate you. And you're awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Wow, this conversation was just so much broader and expansive than I was anticipating. But at the same time, I'm like, this is exactly the conversation that we needed to have today. Because I think as we look at best practice this year in 2023, we are just going to see this continued trend of more intensive therapy and more holistic therapy. This just seems to be the kind of therapy that is helping our clients the most. And I'm excited to keep having these conversations with you. There is a lot of additional learning to do from this episode. I'm going to be linking to all the resources that Nelson mentioned. I'm also going to be linking to some supplementary research specifically on OT for TBI. I have one article on using motor learning strategies in OT for children with TBI, and then another on practice guidelines for the treatment of oculomotor impairment following TBI. The data on vision impairment following TBI is really astounding, so I definitely encourage you to check that article out. And I hope after listening today that when you have someone with a TBI on your caseload, you are thinking in this holistic framework like Nelson talked about and also continuing to follow up with them. Nelson and I actually talked about this after the podcast, but at his workplace, they are following up with a phone call one year post-TBI, and you can really see from the research how important that is. So I really encourage you to be following up with your TBI patients. I know you probably have lots of thoughts and questions after this article. I hope that you join us in the OT Potential Club where we will be discussing it in our forums. Please ask questions of Nelson, of me, and of your fellow OTs who are also providing TBI services. 
And as always, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I hope this podcast helps you broaden your knowledge, tweak your practice, and stay evidence-based. Take care, and we'll talk to you next time.